Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. Um, I had my first experience with loss and grief and death when I was eight years old, when my cousin committed suicide. Mm. And then when I was um, 14, I lost my uncle. And in between eight and 14, I probably went to six to eight funerals. So by the time I was 14, I had had about 10 people just like taken out of my life in a time where you're not, you don't understand what it means. You don't understand this whole, like, you know, they're not there. This is the Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we're going to overcome average. Welcome back to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you overcome average, step up above mediocrity, all by doing hard things. Our goal here is to help you improve your life by doing those things you know you need to do, but you have been avoiding. Now, take a moment and think of whatever difficult thing you're dealing with. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to help you out with. So we're going to give you the tips, tricks, tools, tactics, whatever resource you need to overcome average. Today is our Monday show, so you'll hear from me and a guest. Before we get into that, couple pre-show announcements. First thing, I'd like to invite you to share the show with someone you know. Uh, thank you for that rhyme. I didn't mean it. Uh, but anyways, share the show with someone you know. Think about someone who could benefit from this message. We talk about a lot of things today, so it should be a good one. Uh, but just share the show on social media, anything like that. Second thing, go to gofundme.com slash overcoming dash average and help us raise $1,000 to help save kids from sex trafficking. The money goes to Operation Underground Railroad. They are a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. They actually have a movie coming out pretty soon, and they are a tremendous organization. Uh, if you haven't heard their story, they actually have a podcast. It's the Slave Stealers podcast. You should check it out. It's just a tremendous movement, and they need a lot of help, so help us raise $1,000 for them. Now, let me talk about today's guest. Today, I am interviewing Amber Furiman. Uh, she is a lawyer. She also owns the podcast More Than Corporate. And we talk a lot about uh, today authenticity, finding, I guess, what success means to you, as well as dealing with grief and getting through a tough mutter. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. It ranges from here to there. So uh, go ahead and give the conversation a listen up. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Amber. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited as well. Perfect. So let's start off again with the question that I ask all my podcast guests. What is the hardest thing you've ever done? Oh, hardest thing I've ever done. I think there's a couple of different things that I could go with. Um, law school comes to mind, but I'm actually going to pick um, world's toughest matter. Really? For me, everything, yeah, everything that I have accomplished at some point in time, I've been able to fall back on that. So for those of you who are listening who don't know, Tough Mudder is a 10 to 12 mile obstacle course race. And then World's Toughest Mudder is a 24 hour obstacle course race with um, a five mile loop with 20 obstacles per five miles. And you run that as many 
10 10 24 hour period so um that's probably the toughest physical thing i've ever done but the mental capacity it takes to accomplish something like that gets me through everything that i need to do in life wow so you run the same course as many times as you can in 24 hours yeah oh my gosh so So, what did your training look like leading up to that so i um I found Tough Mudder in 2016. That's when I ran my first one in October. And I did this half Tough Mudder, which is like five, six miles. Mm-hmm. And then directly after that, my obstacle course trainer had signed up for World's Toughest Mudder and it was the following month in November. And so with World, you're able to have a pit crew. First, every time you come in, they can help you get your nutrition. They can help you get a change of clothes if you need to and just make sure you're set for your next lap. Uh And I pitted for him and I just looked around at like the people that I met and the environment that they were in and everybody was pushing themselves to their to their limits. And I was like, I have to be a part of this. So Uh I had decided that 2017, I was going to run um, world's toughest mutter. So between world's toughest mutter in October, or I'm sorry, in 2016, November of 2016 to November of 2017, my training was just tough mutter after tough mutter. I ran 17 of them that year. Oh my God. And then, yeah, we would travel all around the country and there's a whole community of crazy asses that do this. Um, and so I would fly into a city on Friday night, run 20 miles. So two laps of a course on Saturday, one lap of a course on Sunday, get on a plane, fly back and go back to work. And I did that um, probably at nine different courses um, training and then ran World's Toughest Mudder. So a lot of running, a lot of um, grip strength and muscle and CrossFit style, style stuff, and then just repetition on the course. Oh, my gosh. So with all of that under your belt, what sort of tips or advice would you give to someone just starting out in obstacle course races? So the the most important thing in anything, sorry, my dog's barking. Um, the most <laughs> okay. important thing in anything, I think, is patience with yourself. Because no matter what you start, you're not going to be good at it in the beginning. And I feel like no matter what we're doing, whether we're talking about career or your um, physical fitness or, you know, podcasting or creating content, whatever we're talking about, everybody sees the finished product. And so they look at somebody that they admire that has caused them to want to go down this road and they think they're just going to start and be that good. And nobody is that good when they start at anything. So my biggest piece of advice is like meet yourself where you're at and be patient with yourself as you get to where you want to go. I love that. Uh, There's really, I mean, no one prepares you for how long a journey takes. And when you start into it, you're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. And then I feel like in every, in every endeavor you start, there's this honeymoon period where like still going strong. And then, you know, you, you hit the, the doldrums where you're like, why did I do this? And I'd imagine it was probably the same way with the 24 hour race, right? Yeah, it hit about uh, midnight. When the sun goes down and you're still running, you start to question, like, your body gets to a point where you should be sleeping, right? So your mind obviously gets used to habits, and Mm -hmm. there comes a point in time where your mind uh, starts to shut down your bodily functions like it's supposed to. Like, you're supposed to be getting ready for bed, so let's slow your heart rate down. Let's, you know, get you ready to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And when you are on a course and 
going to sleep, you're fighting with yourself constantly. So um, just continuing to push. And the motto that I had for that race and the motto that I have for everything I do in life is the same. And that is that I only walk in one direction. I might not go fast. I might not um, be the strongest or the fastest on the course, but you get me to the start line and I'm only going in one direction. So even if it's those little, um, those little steps forward, you're making progress. Like I'm not turning around and going back. So that makes sense. Uh, I was curious, what was the hardest part for you of the Tough Mudder, the 24 hour? So what comes to mind, so there there was a point in time, my mom was my pit crew. My mom and my, my little brothers came out and they were my pit crew. Awesome. And we had stayed, so um, the pit is in the middle of the course and everybody's has these tents that are up. So think of like a tent city and mm-hmm. you've got um, a 10 by 10 square. And so a bunch of my friends, we had taken over this little section of <laughs> tent city. And I remember coming back from, it had to have been my third lap and I was just done. Like my third lap took me almost four and a half hours to complete. I was going less than a mile an hour oh and gosh. it was so hard for me to move. I was cold. I didn't put my wetsuit on in time. I was walking really slow. My muscles hurt. Um, And I remember getting back and telling my mom, like, I don't want to go forward. I don't want to do anything else. I'm done. I'm out. And and she challenged me, which was amazing. And I remember her taking away all my excuses. So I would say something to her, like, I'm cold. I I think I'm getting hypothermia. And she'd be like, you're fine. If you can say hypothermia, you don't have it. (laughs) Um, And um, as she took away all my excuses, all of a sudden my brain just flipped. And I was like, you know what? I'm not cold. I'm not tired. I'm not hurt. I'm freaking scared. And so I pulled one of my friends aside that was in the race with me. And I said, I just need to talk to you for a minute. And we went for like a 30 second walk. And I was like, I am scared shitless to go back out on the course. Like it's dark. Um, I'm losing my grip strength. I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm scared. And he talked me through that and we got back on the course. I did two more laps. I hit my 25 mile goal. And we were, we were good to go, but it was that moment where I realized that we will lie to ourselves over and over and over again to get out of an uncomfortable situation. And you have to have somebody there that's challenging those lies to get you out of your own way. And so the hardest part was getting back on the course when I wanted to quit so badly. What do you think we tell ourselves those lies our, our minds are designed to keep us comfortable. So if you're familiar with um, NLP or neuro linguistic programming at all, we have our conscious mind and our unconscious mind. And so the way that this works is your conscious mind runs 10% of your body or 10% of your mind and thinks that it runs 100%. Your unconscious mind runs 90% of what we do. And we don't even know it's running. And this is where our limiting beliefs are held. This is where all of our morals that we've picked up are held. This is where the things that we feel like are important that we don't even realize have been impacted. So our imprint area, our imprint time in our lives is from zero to seven years old. We're soaking up everything. And what happens to us during that time frame dictates every decision we make as an adult until we go through the training to reprogram our minds. And so our mind's goal is to keep ourselves comfortable. 
and keep ourselves safe. That's the number one purpose of your, of your mind and safe to your unconscious mind means in that comfort zone that you've created for yourself. And so that's why we tell ourselves the lies is because we are trying to convince ourselves that we're in a comfortable position and that stepping out of that comfort zone is going to be dangerous to um, our health in some way, whether it's mental or physical. Okay. So what would you say to someone who wants to try and step out of that comfort zone? What sort of advice would you give them? So besides the obvious just go that (laughs) everybody will tell you, you know, just do it. Um, Don't think. So there's a there's a book and I can't for the life of me think of who wrote it, but it has this like blast off technique. And it's the idea from when a when a thought gets in your mind like or when you decide you want to do something, counting down five, four, three, two, one, and then just going before you have time to talk yourself out of it. So this works if you're trying to get up earlier to go to the gym. If you're trying to do a bunch of, of stuff like you, your alarm clock goes off, you take a deep breath, five, four, three, two, one, go. And then just don't let yourself get talked out of that goal. Um, I would also say the most important part of getting out of your comfort zone is having somebody that can help push you. Having a coach or an accountability partner or somebody that you can go to that can see through the lies that you're telling yourself. Because it is very, very hard for us to push ourselves out of our comfort zone when the things that we are scared of are so ingrained. Mm-hmm. in in what we're doing and so an outside perspective is also super important i agree i mean you wouldn't have and this is a super nerdy reference but you wouldn't have luke skywalker without yoda you know and uh you know y- you need that mentor so where do you think you can recruit these kinds of supports or, and how would you go about doing that so in in this day and age, like before I would tell you it's networking groups and things to that effect, which I still feel like are valuable, mm-hmm. but social media is a super powerful tool right now. So the the groups that you can get on in Facebook, you can find Facebook or Instagram groups, or I guess Facebook groups and Instagram messages, and even LinkedIn is becoming super powerful, where you can connect with people who are interested in the same thing you're interested in. So if you want to run an obstacle course find an obstacle course racing group and get involved and allow them Mm -hmm. to push you. If you want to open a business, get involved in some business networking groups. Just make sure that anybody that you're allowing in your inner circle that's going to coach you or anything like that, you're vetting and, and comfortable with. But very similar to the comment you just made, my coach, one of them, um, for my business, she says a similar reference. Like, no major sports team would go in and try to win a championship without a coach. Mm -hmm. So why do we think that we can live our best life or have our best business or be successful in what we want to do, trying to do it on our own? Mm -hmm. Did you feel any sort of, especially, you know, going to one of the events for the first time, did you feel any sort of imposter syndrome? Like, wow, these people, they do tough mutters all the time. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be here. What did you do about that? Yeah, so I felt that a ton with um, obstacle course racing, but I didn't realize what it was. And so for me, I just kept kept pushing through. My my um, my obstacle course racing coach is one of the most motivating people I've ever met on the planet. So. Mm-hmm. 
he was able to push me through that before I really fell into it. I will say that where the imposter syndrome came in the most for me was in the podcasting world and creating content and like, why would anybody listen to me on these types of things? Like you, you start a podcast and you're like, I'm just talking to myself. Nobody's listening. And then you realize people are. So, I mean, imposter syndrome is something that we all suffer from and what helped me the most with that was actually listening to other people talk about suffering it. The more you can realize that the things that we feel are not unique to us. They're human emotions that everybody feels and everybody's going through these same thoughts. The more you can kind of realize that they, um, that you're lying to yourself with them and push through those. I agree completely. I, I feel like for me, having someone just say like yeah that does suck like i totally feel the same way to me it's like oh okay it's like half as hard now you know what i mean like it's it's definitely it it, it causes a difficulty in half just knowing that other people are suffering the same thing just in my opinion so 100% i agree um you'd mentioned that your coach was and probably still is uh, one of the most motivational people you've ever motivating people you've ever met for a lot of people who want to who want to aspire to be that way? Why do you think he was so motivating? So it's interesting that you asked that question because I would not have had an answer for you except I interviewed him on my podcast and he said something that I'm just going to quote from him directly. Mm-hmm. And he said, "It's not that I have some superpower." He says, "It's just that I." at one point in time, I was in the exact same position as you and I remember it. And so like you remember what it feels like to be in that position. You remember what emotions you have going through. You remember what it was like to push yourself out of that position and you're able to aesthetically relate to the people that you're coaching. Wow. So really it sounds like empathy um, is the key to motivating people, which is interesting. I never thought about that. Um, dang. So with that said, then anyone can really be a good leader and motivator if they just really understand that, you know, other people are in the same position that they themselves were in. Is that what you're saying? I 100% agree that I, I think that there's a, um, I, I'm not going to say formula. Maybe I'll say a recipe of, of, in, of qualities that it takes. And, I think the first one is empathy. Um, Authenticity is super important as well. Um, Making sure that you're showing up as the person that you really are, because we can see through somebody who's not comfortable in what they're doing because they don't resonate 100% with that. So I think making sure that you're being authentic and I I hear this thrown around all the time and I think it ruins motivation and leadership. And that's the fake it till you make it idea. Like the people that are out there saying, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Like that's not the way to go. Now I'm not saying don't try. Um, I believe in something that may sound similar, but to me, it's completely different. And that's believe it until you become it. Like Mm -hmm. go out there and realize that you're capable of doing this believe that you have the skills and learn what you need to learn to be effective, but don't just show up, fake it and hope somebody buys your stuff. Yeah. I, I also hate that saying just because, um, to me, you're not faking it. You're practicing. You might not be perfect this time, but every time, you know, it's 
as finished a product as you have. And then when you show up and you present it, it's going to, ref- you're going to refine it. And so it's not faking, it, it's practicing, believing that, you know, every single time you're going to get better. So that makes total sense. 100%. Um, now, kind of shifting gears, you also graduated from law school, which is something that a lot of people um, f- have never done. And it, it's very difficult. So what do you, what do you say are the best tips for someone who wants to go to law school in general, as well as someone who just wants to be good at college. Quick pause on the conversation, guys. I want to talk to you about a quick experience I had recently. So I was sleeping. Yeah, you got that right. It was the middle of the night. Me and my wife, we were sleeping and we live with her parents right now. And I heard her parents um, yelling the name of my wife's older brother. And uh, when we came out, he was crumpled on the ground and he has diabetes and he had low blood sugar. So I ended up having to help my father-in-law get him back to his bed. And I feel very fortunate because it was the middle of the night, super tired, but I was still able to help lift him and put him in the bed when it wasn't, my father-in-law couldn't do it alone. Sometime in life, you will have situations where your physical capability will need to be relied upon. Other people will look to you to do something physical, and if you are not up to snuff, you will miss an opportunity to help other people, and that could have serious ramifications. So I would highly encourage you to be serious about your physical training. Improve your capabilities. While you're doing that, don't let the opportunity to use supplements go go by. So if you need supplements, go to onemissionnutrition.com. Sorry, allegiance.onemissionnutrition.com. You can get a 10% on any supplement you need, but more than anything, just take some time today and build some of your physical capability because you'll never know when you need it. And uh, it could show up, you know, in the middle of the night. So thanks for listening to that quick announcement. Let's get back to the show. So this is difficult. Um, Number one, understanding why you're there. So law school particularly, um, because I don't think college is right for everybody and law school certainly isn't right for everybody. So understanding why you're there is super important. For me, um, college and law school came at a time where it's basically what I needed to survive. So I actually failed out of undergrad. I had a 1.83 GPA at one point in time in undergrad. And I was like, my life was spiraling and I knew this wasn't the life I wanted for myself. I was partying way too much. Um, and I needed to grab hold of my life. And through a series of different events, law school kind of showed its way to me. And so for me, the, the intellectual path of going to law school, like I felt that that was my only way out, my only way to make something of myself. So when I went to law school, I was just so super dedicated and focused to that because I felt like I had no other option. For somebody who might not be in that position, I um, I would say just make sure you understand why you're doing something. Don't just follow a path because somebody else tells you that it's important. There's going to come a point in time where you have to make a decision on whether this is still the path you want to take. And nobody else in your family, your friends, your support, whatever, nobody else is going to have to live with the consequences of that decision. So if you don't feel like it's right for you, be real with yourself and ask yourself why and see whether there are other options that might give you the life that you want. 
So with that said, <clears throat> who should go to college? I don't know that there's an answer to that, to be honest. Um, I think that college has its place. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, if you have a desire to have you know, a doctor, a lawyer, a, a professional degree, a psychologist, anything like that, you have to go to school for that. Mm-hmm. I would say that the old, I mean, I'm, so I grew up in the mentality of you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a mm-hmm. degree, and then you figure out your life. And so I think that that's a little bit backwards. I think that it's completely okay to go to college, graduate, take a little bit of time off, figure out what you want to do with your life, learn a little bit, and then go to college instead mm-hmm. of just wasting a bunch of time and money in something that you may not need. Maybe trade school is better for you. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, you look at some of the most successful people that we have and they don't have any more than a high school education. You know, they just learned how to be successful. So it's a personal decision for everybody on whether college is right for you based upon your goals and dreams and desires and what it's going to take to get there. That makes sense. Um, so uh, I guess coming back to your experience in law school, tell us a little bit more about what it was like for you, I guess, and how you succeeded. So I loved law school from the moment I got there. So I struggled through college and, barely graduated. And then when I went to law school, I did really well on the LSAT. So I was able to get into law school by my LSAT admission because my GPA sure as hell wasn't getting me in anywhere. Um, And just from the moment that I showed up, it just felt right. Everything felt like it was the right decision. Um, I enjoyed the material. I enjoyed studying. I, I worked full time through law school as well. So if I wasn't going to school, I was working and if I wasn't doing one of those two things I was studying, I, I graduated at the top 3% of my class. It just, wow. I don't want to say it came easy to me because law school is not easy, but I loved it so much that the sacrifices that I needed to make in order to be successful didn't feel like sacrifices. Interesting. I find it interesting how in the things that we feel connected to, on a almost spiritual level, maybe not spiritual, but that's the only word I can think of. Uh, the sacrifices, they don't necessarily feel like sacrifices. They do, there is a cost, but we're more than willing to pay that price, which I find very interesting because, I mean, it's reflected in your story too. So, one of my favorite books, if you haven't read it yet, and I gave my copy to somebody to read, so I don't even have it with <laughs> me. But one of my favorite books is Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you read that yet? I have not. Okay. So this book is amazing. And it talks just about what you were talking about, that happiness in life doesn't come from getting what we want. It comes from choosing what problems we want to have and what problems we want to solve. So anybody can say, I want to be at the top of my game. I want to be, you know, uh, an MLB player, or I want to, you know, whatever it is that's at that top level. But are you willing to sacrifice what it takes to get there? Are you willing to have the problems of, of, a less active social life and being in the gym constantly or, you know, whatever, whatever the trade-off is for that. So the question people should be asking themselves, isn't what do I want to accomplish, but what am I willing to sacrifice through in order to get? And that to me changed everything when I read that. Yeah. I think, um, I believe that we can't 
I mean, we can choose the consequences, like the results or the methods. And I feel like that's exactly what you're talking about where, um, you know, either you can choose to have the results of being in good physical condition and with, with that, you choose all the methods associated with it or you choose the methods that you like, namely eating as much food as you want, not doing any physical exercise and you don't get to choose the results. So I, I completely agree with what you said there. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I agree with that. So <clears throat> kind of a, an interesting question I have. Moving forward, you said it's not so much about what you want to accomplish, but what you're willing to sacrifice to get there. And this is maybe kind of a personal question, but with what you're looking to do now, moving forward, what sort of things are you looking to sacrifice? What prices are you looking to pay to get what results you're looking for? So, I mean, obviously, so just a little bit about kind of what's going on. I own my own law firm. I've had my own law firm for two and a half years. I also have my podcast. I have a speaking business that's starting. I have a coaching business that I'm starting. Like there's a lot of irons in the fire of what's going on. And with that comes a sacrifice of time. Like we only have 24 hours in a day. So, and you can only show up at a hundred percent. So when you make your calendar, like I can either be going out drinking with my friends at night. Um, I love live music. I can either be out there listening to live music every night and doing all that, or I can be focusing on my business. And you know what, what's really, really cool is that when you are willing to make those sacrifices, you find ways to make them all work together. You find ways to have business meetings at a live music event. You find ways to incorporate, you know, maybe I don't need to go out drinking and dancing every night. Maybe, you know, once every couple of weeks is fine. Like you find ways to get those into your life and still have the success that you want in the business and personal world. And so it just comes down to being willing to make the sacrifices and then everything falls into place. So for me, it's time. I love that so much. Um, you mentioned that you have a lot of irons in the fire, something I've noticed with people who even put one iron in the fire, they always, there's always at least one or two others. How do you keep yourself from chasing the newest shiny object and focusing on developing the things you got going on right now? So I feel like that's the entrepreneurial curse is like, we always want to do something else, right? Mm -hmm. We're always looking for that next thing. And I think finding things that resonate with who you are as a person. And this is where not focusing so much on your career and focusing on the life that you want to have, because you could, I mean, whatever that end game is, whatever that, that picture at the end that you want your life to look like, there might be a hundred different ways to get you there. But if you're focusing on your career, you might get kind of pigeonholed in that. Mm -hmm. And it's a constant evaluation of does this still fit within my mold of what's important I love the life wheel and I don't know if you're familiar with that or not but it's basically um, looks like a trivial pursuit piece and it has a bunch of sections and it's like health and business and spirituality and money and you know whatever else you find important in their family relationships and with the spoke, the, the middle spoke being zero and the outer rim being a 10, you rate your life in each section and then you connect the dots. And the idea is that this is the wheel you're riding around life on. So if you took four of them and made a car out of it, what does your life look like? <laughs> How, um, like, are you, are you hitting a pothole every time your car turns around or is it rounded? 
And then you know what areas in your life you want to focus on. And maybe you are putting too many irons in the fire and your relationships are suffering. How do you reconcile those? How do you make sure that you're defining your own idea of what success constitutes in each one of those categories so that you can live the well-rounded life that you want to have? It all comes down to just defining what's important to you and figuring out, just like we were talking about before, what you're willing to sacrifice in certain areas of your life to accomplish something in other areas of your life. And that will tell you how much you can really put into a business or multiple businesses without sacrificing what you picture as a well-rounded and balanced life. That's super interesting because I've read various stories uh, about extremely high performers. And often in their story, they seem to neglect everything in their life, but the one thing. I'm, I'm interested, what do you think about that approach? Do you think it's beneficial? Do you think it's admirable? Should we emulate it? Just tell me your thoughts on that. <clears throat> so I think it's a, I think it's a personal decision and I'll tell you, um, it's, it's a personal decision on what's important to you. And for, for me, from personal experiences, I neglected everything except for education and law school for a long time. And I crashed in 2016 and I ended up having panic attacks and anxiety attacks and really struggling with just life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to pull back and focus on what areas of my life, like panic and anxiety and those types of things is your body telling you something's not right. Your mind's telling you that, you know, you're doing something that's out of alignment with what's important to you. And you're not listening to what you should be listening to, not being authentic with yourself. And so I had to step back and, and I think that most high performers that you see, if you really talk to them on a one-on-one level, they'll tell you the same thing that they, it may look like they're focusing on, everything in one basket, but they have their boundaries. Um, My business coach runs eight, seven figure businesses. And yet she still has boundaries of times that she won't take phone calls. She still sets out personal development time in her schedule. She still, it's just about being the most productive that you absolutely can during the hours that you're dedicating towards work. Wow. So what are some lessons you've learned about becoming more productive in the same block of time? So recently I discovered this idea of attention management or personal management instead of time management. And that changed so much for me because I would sit down and try to calendar out my days and it never worked for me. (laughs) I was never a planner because I felt like no matter what happened by like nine o'clock in the morning, my, my plan was gone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, life had gotten in the way and then I didn't know how to get back on track and I just got frustrated. When I started focusing on attention management, what I started doing was putting calendar, like 90 minute calendar sessions in my calendar for work, but not identifying what that work was going to be. This was just going to be 90 minutes that I was going to shut off my cell phone, put in um, headphones, listen to some music and just like jam out to, to work for 90 minutes. And this did a couple of different things for me. Um, normally the night before I decide what my, um, if you listen to Darren Hardy at all, he calls them jam sessions. So the night before I would decide what my jam sessions were going to be, what are the three tasks that I feel like I have to get done the next day. And then 
for me, I get super overwhelmed when I think about what I have to get done and I only have like 18 hours to do it. But when you, when I only have to work for 90 minutes, all of a sudden that's manageable. And so I can give a hundred percent for 90 minutes and then I can go do whatever else I need to do. Let my brain calm down a little bit and then come back and do another 90 minutes. And if you can get two and sometimes even three of those in a day, you're getting between three and four and a half hours of uninterrupted work done a day, which is more than most people get in a week. Interesting. So it's kind of like a deep uh, work sprint, which is funny because there's that book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. I, think. I haven't. I'll oh, it, put it on my list. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea. I, I mean, you'll have you'll have to definitely read it, but it's basically a, the same idea of most of your most valuable work is developed in times when you go deep, as he calls it. And uh, based on what you were saying, it sounds exactly like that, where you kind of shut everything else off and just focus on this one task. Another quick pause on the show, guys. Uh, just today, just like always, we we mention books, and uh, I, I might in the future do some sort of thing where if they don't mention a book, I'll, I'll do a giveaway or something like that. We'll see. But today, Amber talks about the subtle art of not giving an F. Okay, and uh, I want to give you the opportunity of getting that book for free. You can get that audiobook from Audible for free today, right now. Go to audibletrial.com/slash. The Hard Thing Podcast, you can get that book for free, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Enough, as well as start your free 30-day trial. And again, it's free, so what's not to love about that? Audible offers over 180,000 titles on every kind of genre. So go to that link, get that book, and start not giving enough. But in the meantime, I'm going to get back to the show. What sort of thing would you recommend or what lessons could you give an entrepreneur who feels like they just have too many fires to put out and they just can't sit down and just focus on one thing for 90 minutes? So I would say that organizing yourself so that you know exactly what you actually have to do is super important because we can, you know, our brains will go, oh my gosh, I got to do this, 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 and this. But maybe the, the last three things of that aren't as urgent as you think they are. And so like actually figuring out what tasks you have to get done and when they're due can help calm your mind a little bit. And then I would also say that in those 90 minute jam sessions, um, you don't have to focus on one thing at a time. Maybe you have three or four tasks that need to get done and you're going to lump those together into those 90 minutes. Um, So whatever works for you, I would say trial by error in finding out how your mind works the best, because even though the science behind the way that our conscious mind and unconscious mind work together is an actual science, each person taps into that a little bit differently. So what works for you to be able to to get that productivity time in? Um, I know for me, when I start to feel like I'm um, panicky about what needs to be done. It's normally because I think more needs to be done than it does. So a lot of it is managing expectations. Is that right? Yeah, I would, I would say that's a good way to put it. Interesting. I think, uh, I think managing expectations is probably one of the most important things we can do in life. Uh, not just in a business sense, but I mean, if you wake up and you know, you go to work, if you have the expectation that I have to work today, some of it might be unpleasant, some of it might be good, but I'm going to work, then 
if it's better than that, you know, you're set. And most of the time it is better than that because most of us don't work in, you know, labor camps where we're using a shovel all day. You know what I mean? And in relationships, if you manage your expectations, like, you know what, they're probably never going to do nice things for me. But if they do, you know, it's going to feel really, really special. So I, I couldn't agree more about that. Um, kind of going back to your podcast, you own your own law firm. I do. What made you want to start a podcast? So as my personal experiences, when I had, when I had my, um, I call it breakdown in 2016, um, when I had that crash in 2016, I spent a year in therapy and then I spent a year on the obstacle course races. So pushing myself out of my comfort zone physically. And then I opened my own business and spent, um, some time doing that. And all of that time I was working on my relationship with emotions and I was working on my relationship with what I thought I was capable of physically, mentally, emotionally. And I remember, um, being in my therapist's office and telling her, like, I just don't feel successful. And at this point in time, I'm making six figures. I'm a practicing attorney. I'm living in Las Vegas. Like anybody from the outside would look at you and say, you're a success. And I just felt so empty. And she asked me, I'll never forget. She asked me, she says, well, what does success mean to you? And I said, nobody's ever asked me that before. Like, I, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. And it took me two and a half years to define what success meant to me through extra processes. And, and like I said, everything that I've been through with obstacle course racing and business and, and all of that stuff. So my podcast is actually called more than corporate and it's about defining your own idea of success. And I felt like now that I'm on the other side of that, I wanted to be able to use my experiences and the experiences of people who have also been through similar things of feeling unsuccessful that had to tap into their authenticity and figure out exactly what they're supposed to be doing with their life and what success means to them. Because under society's definition of success, you could chase that forever and come up short. And so until you define what it means to yourself, you're just going to be chasing dreams your entire life, no matter how much you accomplish. And so I really felt like that was a message that needed to be shared and that I was in somewhat of a qualified position to do it. Excellent. Do you mind if I ask what what is your definition of success? So my definition of success is being able to wake up every morning, make a positive impact in somebody's life, either in my law firm, my coaching business, my podcast, however that happens, make a positive impact in somebody's life while still making sure that I'm staying true to what's important to myself and honoring my boundaries um, and giving myself everything that I need while helping others live their best life. Wow. And again, another personal question. What were some of the things <clears throat> that you did to arrive on that definition? Um, so we talked about the obstacle course racing. That's really where it all started. And, and I bring that up a lot because I mean, I'm actually playing with my patches from the obstacle course <laughs> right now. Like they go everywhere with me. And even though I didn't race in 2018 or 2019, it's still a huge part of my story because I don't believe you can push yourself out of your comfort zone in one area of your life and not grow in every area of your life. So every time I got on the obstacle course race and I ran faster or farther where I did an obstacle course, an obstacle that I couldn't do before that kind of fries those things in your brain that tell you you're not capable of success. 
And then you go back to business and all of a sudden you're doing stuff that you've never tried before because your brain doesn't distinguish between success in the physical world and success in the business or mental world. So pushing myself out of my comfort zone was huge. And then education, personal development. I'm a huge proponent of reading personal development books but actively reading them, taking notes, figuring out how you can uh, apply this into your own life. I found NLP and became a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming, learned how the brain works, why we lie to ourselves, um, how we can kind of push through those. And each one of those things plays a huge part in coming to my definition of success. So how, how do you help others also arrive at their own definition of success? So the number one thing that I think is important, and this is where each person has their own journey and their own path. The number one thing is being authentic with who you are and what you want to accomplish. You're uh, never going to define your own idea of success or reach that definition if you're worried about what other people want you to do. So if you're in school because that's what mom and dad expect of you, or if you're working in a certain field because that's what society tells you to do, you know, you should chase the big corporate dream. You, until you tap into what you really want, you're never going to be able to feel successful. So that authenticity of really just understanding um, what's important to you and being willing to listen to yourself on what's important to you is always the first step. And it's the hardest. I mean, it's, it's not easy at all, but it's important. Excellent. Um, so I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, a subject that is a little bit difficult to talk about. And you probably know I was going to hit on this, but um, you you had an experience where, unfortunately, you lost your father when you were younger. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience. And then I'd like to ask you some questions on grief and what you would recommend to people who are experiencing grief and how to help them uh, keep living, if that's a way to say it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I talk about my dad's death a lot in my bio, in my, in my podcast, in my website, but it really started so much earlier than that for me. Um, I had my first experience with loss and grief and death when I was eight years old, when my cousin committed suicide mm -hmm. and, then when I was um, 14, I lost my uncle. And in between eight and 14, I probably went to six to eight funerals. So by the time I was 14, I had had about 10 people just like taken out of my life in a time where you're not, you don't understand what it means. You don't understand this whole, like, you know, they're not there. I grew up in a Mormon town. So the idea of heaven and people being gone, like I knew that, but you can't really comprehend death. And so then when my dad died at 19, I used to, I used to say that like my dad's death sent me spinning, but it broke me. Like I had already experienced so much loss that I didn't even know how to emotionally respond to the loss of my dad. Um, I was just so used to people being ripped away from me. And so this is where my experience with college comes in because he died my first the first day of my second semester of college. So it took me nine years to get my undergrad because I was the first person in my family to go to college. And everybody in my family kept saying, 
if you take time off, you're not going to go back. So you can't take any time off or else you're not going to go back and and you're not going to finish. So for about five years, I just failed classes over and over and over again until I got the letter from Idaho State saying that I had a 1.83 GPA and that I would not be allowed to take any more financial aid, that I had no grants available. And if I wanted to continue school, I needed to pay for it out of pocket until my GPA got above a 2.0. Um, and that was kind of my wake up call of like, this isn't the life I signed up for. Education was always important to me. Um, I knew that I wanted to have a career and I was just wasting my life. I was drinking all the time. I was doing everything I could to forget the pain that I was feeling. And so that's where I found law school and, or pre-law classes and went to law school. I didn't really deal with my dad's death. I didn't really feel peace over my dad's death until November of last year. That's the first time that I think I truly let everything go. So that's 15 years after his death. So the number one thing I would tell somebody about grief is that it happens on your own time. And, you know, people will say it's been this amount of time and I should be over it by now. Why am I still upset? Why am I still grieving? And it happens on your own time and it'll happen when you're ready. It's, it's a a very personal journey. Why do you think some of us hold on to things like that for so long? Um, we're not ready. So I talked a little bit about our conscious mind and our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind knows everything, every memory, everything that's ever been said, it's all stored in our unconscious mind and it will allow you to deal with it when it feels safe, when it feels like it's, it's time for it to, to come out. And then also each thing that we go through in life brings us to a point where we're more comfortable facing those demons. We're more comfortable The more authentic you get, the more vulnerable you're willing to show up, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to heal because you're not hiding everything in. And I would also say like patience with yourself because every, I mean, every relationship I've ever had has been a disaster as an adult. And the reason for that I now know is because of my experiences as a child and having zero trust that anybody in my life is actually going to stick around. And so these things that you might experience show up in other areas of your life without you even realizing that they're impacting it. And, and this is where I go back to patience with yourself, trust in the process and just allowing the people around you to be supportive and help you in the way that they can and not like hiding or pulling into a shell. Cause I, there's a period of that where you go into a shell and you don't want to talk to anybody about it. You just want to pretend that you're okay. And that's totally the wrong answer. The longer you do that, the harder it is to really pull yourself out of that. So as a supporter, someone surrounding someone who is dealing with grief, how can you help them come out of that shell? Um, from my experiences alone, and and obviously I don't have a psychology degree, I don't sure. have grief counseling experience. So um, just from my experiences alone, acknowledging that you can't fix it, like acknowledging that you don't know what the person's going through, 
acknowledging that um, you you want to be there and be supportive and listen, but you know it gets the, the the cliche sayings that everybody says because they're uncomfortable and they want to try to make it better. That it'll get better. The um, it heals with time. It gets easier. Like those sayings don't actually comfort. They don't actually help. And I find that what, what happens is person who's not grieving is trying to like make the situation less uncomfortable by saying what they need to say to make themselves feel better. Like sometimes just sitting there not saying anything and being there is the support somebody needs. The more somebody says, Oh, I know exactly what you're going through. How do you know exactly what I'm going through? Like you, you don't. And those things just make it more difficult because then you start to think, well, if they know exactly what I'm going through and they're not falling apart, then what's wrong with me? And so mm-hmm. it just, just be there and be and listen and be willing to be uncomfortable and, you know, go drive to their house. So many times I had to have people drive to my house and pull me out of my house or else I would have stayed there all day long. Like get them out for lunch, get them out of their house. Just be just be supportive and be willing to be uncomfortable. I uh, love that so much just because I interviewed his name, Sean Lee. He's a, he's a cancer survivor. And he told me that his, his least favorite thing to hear from people was at least like at least this or at least that. And, and to me, it makes so much sense. And again, from what you were saying, and I, I think when the reason why it bugs us so much when we're we're suffering and someone tries to fix it, you know, and just by saying that magical statement that yeah, it's gonna be okay, you know, I think I think the reason why it bugs us is because in doing that, the person saying that phrase or that cliche saying, they're not really trying to to be there for us. They're trying to make themselves look good or or they're trying to feel good about the situation. So I find that very interesting that, you know, for a cancer survivor for dealing with death you don't want someone to come in and fix the problem you just want someone to you know i i guess as the bible says you know mourn with those that mourn yeah no i completely 100 percent agree and i think if you talk to people from all walks of life that have hardship of any kind if you talk to people who were either born disabled or became disabled through some sort of an accident or a disease. If you talk to cancer survivors, if you talk to grief, there's that one underlying thing, like don't pretend you know what I'm going through. Don't pretend that you know it's going to be okay. Just be here with me and allow me to grieve and allow me to be okay not being okay. Like just be okay being in a room with me while I'm falling apart and and be there when I'm ready to pick myself back up. I think that's very interesting because it kind of goes back to what you were saying about being willing to be uncomfortable because when you're sitting in a room and someone's bawling their eyes out and you don't know what to do, obviously you're going to feel uncomfortable, but sometimes you just got to let the silence kind of envelop you both in a big old hug, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. um, We're we're kind of coming up on our end of time here, but I want to get our audience to, to know you a little bit better outside of what you do professionally. So what do you do in your free time? Um, I dance. Um, I love live music. So West Coast Swing and two-step dancing, live music, um, 
country music or so country is what I kind of am drawn to, (laughs) but I can respect anybody that can play a musical instrument. Like I play the piano poorly and I'm not even going to disrespect the guitar by saying I play it. I have one (laughs) and it comes out every now and then, but Mm -hmm. I know how hard these things are. And so anybody who can play it well, I'm just completely in love with and could watch somebody play for hours. I also really love the authenticity and vulnerability that goes along with songwriting or poetry or any type of content creation that you're putting yourself out there and wondering how people are going to respond to that. Um, Hiking. I love to be outdoors. I love camping. Um, I actually went ocean kayaking last weekend. So that was amazing. That was a lot of fun in San Diego. So yeah, I just, I love to push myself and, and get out and be physically active and do new things. My dog, I have a, I have an 11 year old German shepherd. She's my baby. So she gets a lot of my attention. That's cool. I love dogs. Um, well to help our audience, take action on what they heard today based on our conversation what one to three action items would you give our audience to do today or this week to improve their lives so i would say the most important thing that you can do is to become completely at cause in your life and what i mean by that is take 100 percent responsibility for everything that happens to you uh, the thing that happens to you may not be your fault but it's your responsibility to figure out how you're going to deal with it. And if you're what we call an effect where you're constantly blaming other people or the traffic for being late or your kids for putting you behind or whatever it is, you give away your power to control your life. And so if you become 100% responsible for the things that you, for the things in your life, you'll notice huge changes right away. Um, the second thing is I would say set boundaries for yourself. Um, there are so many of us and, and I fall in this category more often than I'd like that, um, treat ourselves differently than we treat other people. So you would never go up to a friend and like promise to do something knowing you have no intention of ever following through. So why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we set goals and then completely, fail to hold ourselves accountable for those. So I would say to really start to just hold yourself accountable to the things you say you're going to do as if it was somebody else relying on you. And the last thing would be just practicing gratitude. Gratitude can be so immensely powerful and waking up every morning and finding something that you are grateful for can put your day in such a positive spin. Agreed. I Someone once told me there was a study done where they took a group of people and they had them do a gratitude journal. And they found that during the study, they were happier. But also six months later, they were still happier than they were before the study. I find that gratitude is one of the easiest ways to stay humble and to realize that you might work very hard, but there are still things that come to you out of whatever goodness you believe in. And I find it it grounds you and connects you with other. There's just so much like gratitude. I'm a huge fan. So thanks for that. Um, but to help our audience reach out to you, connect with you, where can they go to know more about you? So probably the best way to connect with me is on Facebook. 
Um, I have a community called the More Than Corporate Community um, that's revolving around my podcast. That's very active and a very great place. Um, you can also reach me at Amber Furman, and I'll send you the link so you don't have to try to spell my name. Um, and then Instagram. I'm. I know I need to be more active at Instagram, and I'm fighting it. I'm a <laughs> Facebook generation person for sure. Right. So um, Instagram as well. You can reach me on Instagram, and then always my podcast. Um, yeah, I do an interview episode and a solo episode every week. And so you get to know me a little bit more and you can reach out to me anytime through my podcast. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for being on the show with me. I have found it a pleasure. And this conversation was very insightful for me. Um, just a lot of good things to talk about. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I was honored to come on. Thank you for listening to the show, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you sticking through. Um, uh, just thanks for being a part of this movement and this journey that I've been on. Uh, I know it's never been perfect, but hopefully you've noticed that every show has gotten a little bit better. And every show is going to continue to get a little bit better. And you are going to get even better content, even better res resources. And uh, I'm just excited for what the future holds for all of us. So in the meantime, reach out to me on Facebook and or Instagram. Tell me what hard things you are trying to accomplish and tag us in anything. I'll give you a like and a follow. But uh, I want to see you guys next Thursday. We are having our Thursday meditation show. So in the meantime, go out and do some hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you. <laughs>